You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Aaron Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 35 to 49. And what we're talking about today, I, I titled it, the resurrection. I know, very creative title, took a long time to think of that. Um, but the resurrection, and, and the reason titled it the resurrection, what we're going to look at today is actually our resurrection. So as believers, it's going to be our resurrection. This is not um, focusing mostly on Jesus' resurrection, but on ours. But the two are linked. The two are inseparably linked. Jesus' resurrection uh, is so important for our resurrection, and, and hopefully you'll get to see that today in what we're going to look at. Um, If I could summarize it, I would say because the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, because it's true, it's historical, it's verifiable, uh, and centrally essential to the gospel truth. So because of that, we can be assured that we also will be raised from the dead, and that knowledge, that future, affects the way that we live today. So let's look, if you will, with me to verses 35 to 49 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is God's holy word. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven, As was the man of dust, so also are all those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Well, I want to kind of break up today's message into three questions to help us focus, to help us as we look at this, because we could go through 1 Corinthians 15, and it would be like four or five messages, and I'm assuming you don't want to take that long this morning uh, to go through all of it, but there's, I would encourage you to go back and read it, because there's so much here, and it's, and it's all one argument. Paul, Paul links it all together. But to help us focus today, I'm just break it up into three questions. The first, how can we be sure of the resurrection? How can we be sure of our resurrection? Second question, what will we be like? And the third how then should we live? So first of all, how can we be sure of our resurrection? Well, to give you a little bit of context, tell you a little bit about what's going on in this, uh, in this chapter that we're looking at right now. 1 Corinthians 
is a series of letters. And actually, 1 Corinthians isn't even the first letter. You'll see instances in 1 Corinthians, if you're to read the whole book, where Paul's talking about his previous letters. And then he's talking about letters that the church in Corinth has written to him. So when we jump into 1 Corinthians, we're actually in the series of an ongoing conversation between Paul and the Christians in the church in Corinth. And here in chapter 15, we observe a conversation where uh, Paul is addressing some folks in the church who apparently are denying the resurrection of people who die. Now, it's not clear why they're denying it. There's kind of three proposed theories that scholars give. The first is that in Corinth at the time, there was this uh, idea, there was this practice of Gnosticism. Right? Gnosticism was the belief that spirit was good and body is bad. And so you know, the body's really this kind of cage, this prison for the spirit. And, and so uh, they, they believed that there was not really a resurrection of the body. Once the body died, the spirit was free, and that was really good. The spirit went on to live with God forever. There's other uh, speculation that uh, th- scholars have that pretty similar today, uh, that they think maybe part of the reason that the resurrection, the bodily resurrection was being questioned is because it's kind of hard to believe, right? We, we don't see that every day, and when we do, it's scary. Uh, we, we don't see people that are dead come back to life, and so they could have, like us today, just said, man, that sounds like a, that sounds like a fairy tale. That sounds like a myth, right? We don't, we don't believe in the bodily resurrection. Could be one of the objections, A third one is that possible uh, for the church in Corinth is that they thought, and it was actually referred to by Paul earlier in 1 Corinthians, they thought that as Christians, bad things don't happen to us. Sickness and illness and ultimately death don't actually happen. They believed that, uh, there were some that believed that if you're a Christian, you wouldn't see death. Now, which of those three is it? I don't know. I think it's probably likely that there's all three of those in some form or fashion are coming up in different people in the church in Corinth, right? Some might find it hard to believe. Some might be practicing Gnosticism or still, you know, be struggling with Gnostic thoughts from their pagan past. And some might have this wrong view that nothing bad happens to Christians, including death. Well, Paul addresses these directly in chapter 15, and he talks about it, and he says, here's what he says, his main point in chapter 15 is that so much of Christianity, in fact, our whole lives are in vain if Christ has not been raised. And he says, Christ's resurrection is our sign, our example, our hope that we too will be raised like him. Have you ever been the first to do something? Right, I, I hated this, like in school, when you had to give a presentation, right? You had to present before the class, and you were the first one to go. That's tough, right? It's daunting, because you want to you have that example of what, what uh, the teacher's expecting or, or what to do. Well, um, I've experienced something other than school like this. Uh, a few years ago, there's somebody in the church who, for their 21st birthday, wanted to go skydiving. And so found out that my wife and I uh, had always been talking about skydiving, never gone, and so in conversation, we kind of got talked into going with this person for their 21st birthday to go skydiving. Now, some of you are like, well, that's a really strange way to celebrate your 21st birthday, doing something that, you know, might, you might not make it past 21. <laughs> and so uh, it's a great place, and, and I'll tell you the place afterwards uh, if you want, if you want to go skydiving. But, uh, but the place is great. They, they set you up with this video. They show you all this, like, tutorials and stuff beforehand. Now, they also have, like, a weight limit. 
And they, they let me know in no uncertain terms that I was just squeaking by. Like, <laughs> felt, I felt like, oh, okay, thanks. Uh, so I, ju- I just squeaked by. I had, you know, I had the, the right weight I could go. And, and you're watching these videos and you're talking to the instructors and you're, you're seeing all this stuff of people skydiving before you. And everybody in the video is happy. You know, they're, they're done skydiving. They're talking about how it's great. Uh, and so you, you kind of build this confidence, like, okay, I can do, I'm seeing examples of people that have done this before. Uh, now, when my uh, instructor came to me, now we're going to do tandem skydiving, which for those of you that don't know, that means you're strapped to another human. You're going to be strapped to another individual as you jump, you know, from the plane. And this guy comes over, and first, I mean, he meets me. He's like, hey, you Aaron? Yeah, I'm Aaron. Nice to meet you. He says, ma'am, I'm a big guy. You're a big guy. We're going to be falling like a rock. He's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you're supposed to tell somebody that when it's their first time skydiving. Like, uh, I guess you could just tell, like, hey, this guy can handle it. It's fine. Um, and so we had our family there. I don't know if that's a good idea, but we had our kids all at the bottom. You could, like, where the target is, it's literally like a target. Where are you going to land? Like, there's this, like, fenced-off area where people can spectate and watch you. And now, it, it's a funny story, uh, but let's be honest. Even if the, the person in front of me lands fine, there's not a 100% guarantee that I'm not going to traumatize my kids for the rest of their life by falling to my death, right? But that's not the case with Jesus. His promise is sure. The future for you is certain. If you're in Christ today, you will rise again. The hope you and I have is the example. It's the promise of the resurrected king. We can be sure of our resurrection because Jesus was raised. That's why the resurrection is so important. Yeah, it has, it has implications with uh, our forgiveness. It has implications with God's seal of approval on Jesus, but it also serves as our example. It serves as a pointer to the fact that we will be raised as Christ was raised. We can be sure. We can be certain. How do we know we're going to be raised? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, the second question, we're going to spend most of our time this morning. The second question is, okay, what then, what are we going to be like? Like, what's, what's the raised body going to be like? Um, in verses 35 to 49, Paul goes into some detail about this. So let's look at it again. Let's look at uh, verses 35 to 49. He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Now, let's pause there. This isn't how Paul normally just addresses people, right? He's like, Oh, you're asking questions? You foolish person. Uh, no, what he's addressing is most likely, first of all, this is an, this is an argument he's laying out. It's probably a fictitious person, but he's assuming there's going to be somebody who's going to say, okay, they're going to be raised. Well, what, what kind of body are they going to come with? Now, this person, though, that he's referring to is not somebody who has real legitimate doubts. Right? This isn't a person who's questioning long-held beliefs by testing the scriptures like the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. But this is rather someone who's saying, I don't, I don't understand how this could be, and so I just, I just don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe it. It's much more like the atheist in Psalm 14 who says, there's no God. Right? They're not saying, I've examined everything, I've studied everything, and I've come to the rational, logical conclusion that there is no God. It's just like, no, this is a truth that's really hard for me to believe. I'm just not going to believe it. I'm not going to press into it. And Paul says, that's foolish. That is foolish. Um, and so he, he addresses this person and says, okay, you want to know how they're raised? Here's, here's the details. And to, to look at what we'll be like, I want to break it into three sections for us. The first, just following what Paul does, the first he does is he gives examples from nature. 
The second is he explains the resurrection body. And third, he gives the example ultimately of Christ. So what will we be like? First of all, examples from nature. Let's go back and look starting in verse 36 after the foolish person. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. See, Paul right away, when he's looking at examples of nature, goes to a a familiar uh, example to what the church in Corinth, what people there would have been familiar with, right? A a seed. And he's saying it's kind of like a seed. If you look at a seed before you plant it, it's really hard to believe that this little seed, I'm going to plant it in the ground, and then it's going to turn into, I mean, it almost sounds like magic, right? I'm going to put this little seed in the ground, and it's going to turn into a plant. Have you ever planted a seed before? I didn't mention this in the first service, but if you're interested in planting seeds, you should see Chauncey Allman. Chauncey, I hope you're listening to the recording and, and you're uh, thankful that I mentioned you. But yeah, Chauncey and others are uh, into gardening and they'll help you. But, uh, but a few, few weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Mariposa Grove in Yosemite. And if you've ever been there, ever heard of it, Mariposa Grove is where these giant sequoias, the largest trees in the world, giant sequoias live. And most of them there, they estimate, are between 1,500 and 2,000 years old. Right, so huge, huge trees. They're 200 to 300 feet tall. Um, they are 30 feet in diameter. That's wider than this. Trust me, I tried it. Um, it's 100 feet in circumference. These trees are massive. But if you look at the seed for a giant sequoia tree, it looks like a kernel of corn. That's just this tiny little seed. And Paul says, uh, if you look at that seed, he's saying we should be familiar with examples like this, but that seed, even though it doesn't look like the tree has all the DNA, has all, the, all of the essence of the tree is in that, in that seed. But it's different, right? It's not like those little sponge things that look like a dinosaur and you pour water on it and it, it's just a bigger dinosaur, right? It's not like this little tiny sequoia tree and we put it in the ground and then it just gets bigger. But it's completely different. It's a seed looks different, but has all of the DNA, has all of the characteristics that essentially make it this giant sequoia tree. And Paul says, not only that, but like a seed goes through the transformation to become a plant, uh, it also goes through death. The seed gets buried like a dead body, and from that burying grows into a plant. So I think it's reasonable to assume that while the resurrection body will still be us, it will still be you, And whatever that essence means, you and I will also be very different as a plant is different from a seed. How will that body be different? Well, he gives us some clues. Keep reading. Let's see. Verse 39, he says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. No, I don't think this is a proof text to say that dogs will be in heaven. I don't know that it's saying we won't have dogs in heaven, but this is not what this verse is talking about. The point of this verse is Paul's pointing to the fact that God already makes different bodies for different environments. 
God already makes different types of bodies for different environments. A human is made to walk on the ground and to breathe air. A fish is made to swim in the water and breathe through the water. The sun is made to inhabit space and to be in orbit, giving off enormous amounts of light, heat, and energy, and is different from human beings. Now, they're very similar in many ways if we look at the elements that make them up, but they are uniquely made for the environments that they inhabit. It's the same, Paul says, with the resurrection body. It will be made by God for the environment of eternity with God in the new heavens and new earth. And what we see here is that it all depends on God. The Corinthians here could say, okay, well, that, that, that's, that's great, but how, that, how is that going to happen? How is that going to be? Well, he says it all depends on God. It's God who gives the growth, he says earlier in 1 Corinthians. When you plant the seed and you water it, God's the one who gives the growth. God is the one who creates different bodies, the celestial bodies, the fish, the birds, the animals. Uh, they didn't adapt themselves through years of evolution, Right? God created them intently for the environment that they're in with the purpose that he has created them for. And it's the same with our resurrection bodies, Paul says. It seems impossible. It seems incomprehensible, but nothing is impossible with God. And at this point, it seems like Paul, anticipating his audience, goes on to explain it further. So, so far he says it's like a seed. It's going to be like a seed turns into a plant. It'll be different. Uh, like these different bodies, God will make it uniquely for the environment of eternity with God. God's the one who's going to do all of it. But then Paul goes on to explain the resurrection body. Look at verses 42 to 44. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body... There is also a spiritual body. And so what Paul does is he gives these comparisons. He compares our current body with our future body. And here's what I want to do. Instead of, like Paul, he kind of goes back and forth and compares these. I want to take all of or most of his examples of what our body's like now, and then I want to compare it with our resurrection body. So first word he uses is perishable. Now, I understand this concept better at 38 than I did at 28. I'm much more familiar with my perishable body. All right, studies show that after age 40, we lose 1% of muscle size per year. This is going to be very positive and exciting, sorry. <laughs> after age 40, we lose 1% of muscle size per year. We lose 3 to 5% of muscle strength. We lose 3 to 5% of our speed every year. As we age, our eyes become weaker. Our ears don't work as well. Our hair begins to fall out, even alongside our teeth. We get wrinkles. We get less flexible, and our bones get more brittle. And if that wasn't enough, it doesn't stop there. After we die, our bodies continue to decay and die until there's nothing left. And that essentially, that's what that Greek word means. It's translated perishable. It actually means it's a process of our bodies currently are in a process of decay. We are decaying. We are dying. Our bodies are perishable. Dishonor. We're born into sin and sinful humanity. You and I have inherited the fallen world from our parents, Adam and Eve. And alongside that, we've inherited bodies that are marred with and prone to sin. 
I've got a past that I'm not proud of. You and I, even though we're redeemed and are in Christ, still face the temptation of our sinful flesh. Um, I think an analogy is similar to wearing sweaty gym clothes to a nice restaurant, right? Like it just it doesn't it doesn't fit. Our current bodies marred with sin don't belong in the glory and the splendor of the new heavens and the new earth. Weakness. Well, you might be like me and a little offended by being called weak. But the truth is we are weak. And a few weeks ago, man, I got to experience this. We had a, a big, heavy piece of equipment and I was trying to move it, get it onto a loading ramp that we had for a truck. And now the, the, the loading ramp is literally a ramp. You're supposed to be able to just roll stuff on there. But the thing was too heavy to roll on. And if you've seen the ramps, I mean, it's like a, a half inch, right? You just got to lift it a half inch. So I was like, okay, well, we can just lift it up, you know, onto the ramp and then lift the ramp up. So I had me and another guy. And instead of grabbing the bench and, you know, making sure all the slack's out of my arms, sit back and, like, stand up with my legs, I just, I was like, man, we're just moving it like a half inch. I can just grab it. So I went to grab it, lifted it, felt this pop, heard this kind of sound, and felt this intense pain, and realized I'm a lot weaker than I thought I was. So we're, we're weak, and we're getting weaker. But this word doesn't just refer to physical strength, but the concept of strength. What is the concept of strength? Well, trying to do something. Strength is the ability to do something that you try to do, so weakness is not being able to do the thing that you're trying to do. If it's lifting a weight, Weak means you're not able to lift that weight. But there's other ways that we, this, this understanding, this concept of weakness goes. We cannot do what we want to do anytime we want to do it. We have such a separation of this in our society, but food is a good reminder of this, right? Food's a necessity that we need. We, we need food to live. We can only go for a little while without food and even shorter without water. But we have weakness in other ways too, don't we? As a mom, you want to spend time with your kids, but right now, you just need a nap. As a spouse, you want to spend time with your spouse, but you're exhausted. You've got all of these ideas and plans for your company, but not enough time in the day or gas in the tank to make them all happen. You have family members who are not walking with the Lord, and you want to be able to change their hearts, but you can't. You want to stop that besetting sin. You want to stop sinning in that way, but you can't. We are very familiar with our weakness. And in our culture, especially here uh, in North Texas, we, 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 try to, we try to combat this. We try to ignore this. We try to uh, forget our weakness, don't we? Well, what is our future body? What does Paul say about our future body? So that is our current body. What's our future body? Well, if it's perishable, he says, our new future body, our resurrected body, will be imperishable. Now, that's not just not perishable. I know this is going to be, just take a second, let me explain this. So, if uh, our bodies are decaying, what Paul is not saying is that that future body will just not decay. But the Greek word actually means it will be a process, like the process of decay, it will be a process of undecay. We will progressively become less and less dead, more and more alive. We'll be in a process of life, like running living water. Our bodies will be imperishable. And see, we, when we're trying to ig ignore that here in our society today, we're trying to, to, to delay this decay that we have, 
um, by exercise, by uh, surgery. Now, I'm not saying that exercise is bad. I'm not even saying that plastic surgery is, is bad. But some of us need to hear this today. When we put our hope in these things, we try to escape reality that's not good. This body of yours and mine will not live forever. No matter what diet or exercise or vaccines or yoga or surgeries you have, our hope is not in avoiding death. Our hope is in Christ and that he one day will resurrect us and give us a body that will live on forever and increasingly so. That's our hope, that we will be raised imperishable. What's the next word he uses? If it was dishonor in our current body, he says the future body will be raised in glory. Now, we often think of this word glory in relation to God or in terms of light, um, but this term can be translated as splendor. It has the idea of something that is weighty or impressive or majestic. So our bodies won't be subject to the corruption of sin. They won't be marred with the past. If you think of it, because of sin, you and I are rather really kind of a disappointment, aren't we? We are created to be with God, to to rule this world that he created, but more often we're ruled by our sin and our desires than we rule. In the resurrected bodies, we will be what we were created to be. We will be able to be fully transformed by the Holy Spirit, and it will be glorious. The next word that he uses is power. So, sown in weakness, raised in power. Now, I don't know that this means we will all be like Captain America or the Hulk or fill in the blank with your favorite superhero. Um, but kids, I can definitely say uh, that I can't say that we're not going to be that. <laughs> so I can't say for sure, but I can't say we're not. But what I can tell you is this, this word power, uh, this word is like the word weakness, and that refers to the ability to do that which you set out to do. So we use it often in in speaking of trying to move something or lift something, but it essentially means that we'll be fully able to do God's will. Currently, we have limitations on our bodies, but then we will be fully able to do by the Holy Spirit all that God has called us to do. Won't that be amazing? Won't that be amazing to be able to do what God has called us to do? Yes, we will run and not get tired, but more than that, We will not have a day, not even a minute, where we feel the shame or disappointment because we couldn't do that thing that we wanted to do. You'll never have to look into the disappointed eyes of your kids or spouse or friends or parents because you couldn't do what they wanted you to do because then our bodies will be fully capable to do all that God has called us to do. Doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that excite you for that day I know there are those here struggling with weakness. You're struggling with the fact that you can't do all that you need to do and you need to hear this. Right now, you are weak. Right now, you do need to recognize your limitations and live in that. But it also should create in you a hope for that day. That day when you will be able to fully do all that God has called you to do. We will have power. We will be raised in power. And what else does Paul say as he's comparing these two things and he's saying what this future body will be? Well, he says it's like natural versus spiritual. Look what he says in verse 44 to 46. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. To many have wrongly read verse 44, where it says, uh, it's sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Many have wrongly read that to say, hey, see, that means that we're not going to we're not going to be raised a physical body. We'll be raised as a spiritual body, like a, a floating spirit, right? That's where we get those ideas of floating on clouds, right? Or like we're just going to be spirits with God. But that's not what this word means. This word is much more like if I told you today that I have a diesel truck, right? Or you, you wouldn't think that I meant I have this like kind of liquid truck that's made of diesel, Right? Or maybe I froze diesel and I made it into a truck, right? I don't know if you can freeze. I don't know what the temperature. I'm sure you can, you can freeze anything, right? But it's not like a, a diesel truck is made of diesel. And then if I said, oh, I have an electric truck, that that means there's like this floating cloud of electrons that looks like a truck. You would understand if I said, I have a diesel truck, that I don't mean it's composed of diesel, but that it runs on diesel, that it's powered by diesel. And it's the same thing here. This Greek word means the spiritual body is powered by. It runs on the Holy Spirit. This body will not go, will not move without the Holy Spirit. It will not move contrary to the Spirit of God. This spiritual body will be fully controlled by, powered by, and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now he goes on, and the last example that he uh, draws us to is he says the example of comparing Adam and Christ. It's the example of Christ. Look again at verses 45 to 49. He says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He also says earlier in verses 21 and 22, For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here's, he's talking about, in verse 21 and 22, he's, he's talking about this spiritual death, but he's also talking about this physical life. We're physically made in Adam. We're physically of the dust. But when we are raised, we will be like Christ. We will be, our bodies will be heavenly bodies. Our bodies will be like Christ. Now, let me just pause for a second. If you're a Christian today and you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are, in a sense, you are spiritually alive. God says in his word that we are made alive right now, today, in Christ. But it's this idea of this Already, but not yet. We are alive in Christ spiritually, and we will be made alive on that day. Fully alive, both physically and spiritually, alive in Christ. As Christ was raised from the dead, as Christ was and is, we will be made alive completely with Christ. Look what it says in 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We will have the new resurrection body with all of its abilities and none of its hindrances to sin. We can take some hints from what we see Jesus doing, but here's, here's some ideas that I think we can see. We, we won't need sleep. 
We will not be physically limited. We will eat food, but we won't eat food because we need to eat food. We'll eat food to enjoy food to the glory of God. And ultimately, we will have a new resurrection body like Christ that can and will be fully filled with and powered by the Holy Spirit. It's not so that we can be gods, right? It's not like he's giving us all of this uh, eternal life and all this power so that we can just kind of go off on our own, right? So we can be gods. But he's giving us all this so that we can be gods, possessive. So that we can be with him. So we're not created to be gods independent. We're created to be gods possessive, as in we are to be fully in relationship with God. We will one day be fully communing with God, fully serving and loving and obeying the will of our Heavenly Father perfectly for all eternity. So then, how should we live? How does that, how does, you know, it's really great, it's, it's great to think about the resurrection body. I don't know how much you all think about that, especially if you're under 40, how much you think of the resurrection body. But how does this make a difference in our lives? What difference does knowing this make? Well, I'm glad that you asked that, because I'm planning on cha- I'm answering that here in a second. In two ways, I think. I think knowing this affects how we live our lives and how we respond to the gospel. How we live our lives and how we respond to the gospel. First of all, how we live our lives, I think you could say, there's probably lots of application, but I have two. How we live our lives, I think one, it changes the way we live our life because we can be comforted. And number two, we can work hard. Now there's a fantastic children's book series that I'm going through with our boys right now. Um, we've been reading through a bunch of different books, but we're going through this one called Green Ember. And if you haven't read it, I'd, I really highly recommend that series to you. Um, but in the book, there's, there's all these bad things that are happening, right? There's, there's war, there's sickness, there's death. And every time uh, there's something that's not the way it should be, the characters in the book remind each other, and they sing a song, and they remind each other, it will not be so in the mended wood. And the characters are rabbits, and so you, you got to read it and see. But it will not be so in the mended wood, referring to a future when all wrongs will be put to right. Likewise, I think when we have pain in this world, when, when you experience physical pain, right, from weakness, when you experience physical pain from decay, when you experience emotional pain from sin, from the fallen world, we can remind each other, you can remind yourself, and we should remind each other, it will not be so in the resurrection life. That's what we're doing in a sense on Sunday morning. We're reminding each other through singing and through the preaching of God's word, we're reminding each other that yes, we have pain, yes, we have loss, yes, we are suffering right now, but brother, sister, it will not be so in the resurrection life. It will not be so on that day. And we can be comforted and we can find hope and we can find encouragement that it will not be so on that day. Well, we can be comforted. What's the second thing? How does it affect our lives? Well, I think the second way is we can work hard. Now, in the history of the church, there's really two, two wrong views, two extremes uh, that the church went to in regards to the resurrection body, right? There's one that kind of followed that idea of Gnosticism that the body doesn't matter, right? That the body doesn't, we're going to get a new one, and so this body this life doesn't really matter because there's coming a day when we'll have a new one. You can do whatever you want in the body, and people in Corinth were following this, that wanton hedonism, sexual immorality, 
tattoos, drinking, smoking, eating carbs, and the like, right? You could pick your analogy. I'm trying to pick helpful analogies, and here's one that I thought of. It's kind of like you have a current car, and you've got news that you got a new car, right? Maybe you got a bunch of money. Maybe it's your, you know, your birthday or something. You got a car coming. So the current car that you have, you're driving, but you know you got a new one coming. This would be like if you took that current car and you just, man, you don't care. You just drive it. You don't get the oil changed. You don't care what gas you put in it. Uh, you can eat whatever food you want inside of it. Ketchup, doesn't matter. You park it wherever you want. You treat it terribly because after all, you're getting a new one, right? This doesn't matter. Listen to what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, if it's true that God is going to transform this present world and renew our whole selves, bodies included, then what we do in this present time with our bodies and with our world matters. For far too long, many Christians have been content to separate out future hope from present responsibility, but that is precisely what Paul refuses to do. His full-body doctrine and promise of resurrection sends us back to our present world and to our present life of bodily obedience to our Lord in the glorious but sobering knowledge that if there is continuity between who and what we are in the present and who and what we will be in the future, we cannot discount the present life, the present body, and the present world as irrelevant. So we, we don't want to be just not caring about the car, right, in that analogy. Well, what's the other extreme? Well, if that, that's the one extreme, the other extreme that I think we've also seen maybe in the history of the church is that the body matters so much that we have to be really, really careful to take care of it. Or this would be the historic idea that tattoos, smoking, and drinking are all bad because they damage the body, right? You, you really want that tattoo for eternity? Let me, let me say something here. There might be uh, some people here who that, that's, that's why you've avoided cremation, right? You've avoided cremating loved ones because you thought that God couldn't raise that cremated body. That, that was going to ruin your chances for getting resurrected. The same God who can take the bones in Ezekiel and raise an army can raise your cremated body, can take every single molecule of that body and raise that body. We don't need to be worried about that. The view that the body matters could be like somebody who, who owns a really nice car, right? So if you got the one who's got the car and they got a new one coming, this would be like somebody that has a really nice car and maybe they've saved up a long time for it and they have it and they're proud of it. They park it in the garage and it's covered even when it's in the garage. Um, when the temperature's perfect and the, it's not raining and the, the weather's perfect, then they bring the car out to drive it, you know, swerving to avoid potholes and stuff in the road. Um, they park in the very back of the parking lot to make sure there's no dents and dings on that car. Wouldn't even dare eat food in the car because you might spill something, or at the very least, it might smell like food. Um, they meticulously clean it and care for it because that's, after all, that's all you got. This is your car. Well, see, both of these extremes are extremes to avoid that I believe are unbiblical and, correct and incorrect applications of the truth of the resurrection. The resurrection is true, and it is coming, but this body does matter as well. So how should we appropriately apply these truths? How would we, so if we're not supposed to just treat it like this is all we've got, or who cares, right? How are we supposed to live? Well, great question. I think the parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 25, verses 15 to 30, give us a clue. If you haven't heard the parable, just to summarize it, what Jesus says is, 
there's this uh, master who's going away, and he's got these servants. He calls these servants, and he gives one servant five talents. He gives another servant two talents, and he gives another servant one talent. Now, talents are amounts of money. And so he gives these uh, servants money, and he leaves for a time. And when he comes back, he calls the servants to himself, and he asks, hey, what did you do with the money? Well, the one that had five made five more talents, and the one who made two made two more talents. And both of those individuals are praised by the master. The master says, hey, great job. Um, the one servant who had the one talent comes back and gives the talent back to his master and says, hey, here you go. Here's the talent you gave me. Uh, and he's reprimanded for not even simply investing at all the talent. And I think that's the way that we should understand our current bodies. See, God has given us each bodies, some more physically capable or emotionally capable or intellectually capable than others, but he's called us all to use our different gifts and abilities for him. This life, this body matters, so don't just sit back in the garage taking it easy. There are too many of us today who are in our comfort culture binging Netflix, binge-watching Netflix, or scrolling Instagram, or binging answers on Quora or Reddit, wasting our lives. Too many of us are up late because we can't sleep and not doing anything because we're too tired. The analogy that I think would work in keeping with our vehicle analogy is like, we have this vehicle, we know that we're getting a new one, so let's, let's use this vehicle for, our, our, for God's glory. If, let's, if we're using a vehicle, again, I'll, I'll get to explain it, but we got this vehicle, let's load it up with furniture to help friends move. Let's, let's load it up with friends that need rides to places. Let's, let's pick up kids that need to go to, to the youth group. Uh, who cares about food in our car? That's fine. As long as we've got people that are, are in there enjoying themselves. Right now, yes, we, we do stop for gas. And yeah, we do get car washes. And we do, uh, you know, get oil changes. And yes, the analogy's breaking down. No pun intended. But, it, but the analogy breaks down at some point with the car. What I'm, what I'm saying plainly is that God's given us these bodies, right? God's given us these bodies now. He will give us a new body. But brothers and sisters, let's use our bodies today. Let's work hard to use this body for God's glory. Let's use every ounce of energy that he's given us. Again, some have more than others, but let's use every ounce of energy that he's given us for God's glory. We should fall into bed exhausted from loving others and loving God, using our bodies fully for his glory. And look what Paul says at the end of the chapter. He says, therefore, after he says all this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we can serve, we can, we, can, we can go all out serving, knowing that we will have a new resurrection body and knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's a poem by an unknown author that I think sums this up, uh, sums this up well, and it's One Life, Soon twill pass, only what's done for Christ will last. So knowing this truth changes the way that we live, but it also changes how we respond to the gospel. The truth of the resurrection affects the way that we respond to the gospel. How, you might be saying. How, how does that apply to the gospel? But what happens right after resurrection? Do you know when you look at our bodily resurrection in the Bible, what happens immediately after that resurrection? What does Hebrews 9, 27 says? It's appointed for men or people to die once, and then comes the judgment. After we're resurrected, we face judgment from God. 
So God created us to be with him, in relationship with him, but our sin, our sinful nature from Adam and Eve, and the things that we do that we shouldn't do, and the things that we should do that we don't do, separate us from God. But God, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Christ Jesus, fully God and fully man, was born of the Virgin Mary so he could take on a new nature, the new Adam. He lived a perfect life that we could never live, perfectly led by and powered by the Holy Spirit. He was crucified. He died our death. He was cursed by God as true man, paying the debt for mankind and was able to endure the wrath of God as he was fully God. He died, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, his death counts for our death. His perfect life counts for our life. It is the great exchange. And our eternal life begins at that moment and our future resurrection is secured. But that is only for those that put their faith and trust in Christ. If you're trusting today in your good works or trusting that there's not really a God or trusting that maybe there's not actually a judgment, I would call you, dear friend, to examine the scriptures and see that that's not the case. There is a God who is more holy than we could ever know, but who is more merciful than we dare believe. There is a God, let me say that again, who is more holy than we could ever know, but who is more merciful than we dare believe. He stands right now ready to receive you and ready to forgive you. Trust in him today. Judgment is coming for us all. We can either be judged for our works or depend on the perfect finished work of another. That is Christ. Well, as we're getting ready to take communion and invite the ushers to come up and prepare communion, I think Tim's coming up. I was going to say band, but I think it's Tim. But let's listen to this quote from Stephen Um as we get ready to take communion. As he sums up this idea of this resurrection body and Christ's work, listen to this. He says, The man of heaven took on a body of dust in order that people who are made of dust might take on a heavenly body. He became like a grain of wheat buried in the ground, but counterintuitively transformed to bear much fruit. In John 12, 24, Jesus states, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The imperishable became perishable, that the perishable might become imperishable. Jesus, the glorious one, experienced dishonor so that the dishonorable might experience glory. Jesus, the powerful one, became weak so that the weak might become powerful. Jesus, who deserved life, experienced death so that those who deserved death might experience new life. Jesus, the man of heaven, made himself a son of man, a man of earth, so that the sons of Adam, men of earth, might become men of heaven. In this Jesus, the natural and the supernatural come together. The present and future converge. This is how individuals can be certain that just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. If one belongs to Jesus, his or her future supernatural resurrected body is just as certain as his or her present natural body. Christ is in us. We already have the DNA. We are like a seed, he says, that will be planted and will sprout to counterintuitive, unexpected new life. That's our hope today. That's our hope in Christ as we're about to take communion. That's what we, we recognize, what we uh, 
we see in taking communion is that Jesus, the one who deserved life, took death for us so that we could be alive. Jesus, the man of heaven, took our place on the cross. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.